0: Let's get started with the scenario for this episode. So the boss gives you access to the company's data and asks you to come up with a model that uses it. With all this data, it's got to be good for making something the users will use, right? Well, you buckle down, work with the data scientists, and make a lot of tweaks to the data and come up with something. But no matter how much you advertise it, no one wants to use it. Well, back to the drawing board. So this time, you find out what the users do want. More tweaks to the data, and you get a model that's accurate. People love it. Tons of users flood in and flood the server. The server crashes from too large of a model. IT guys say they can fix it and bring in a bunch of new hardware. It all seems to be going fine until you notice every review of the app is laughing at how inaccurate it is. This can't be. It's the same model, just running on different hardware, right? Let's make sure this doesn't happen. Today we'll be covering the development cycle for AI. This podcast is called Design for AI. It is here to help define the space where machine learning intersects with UX, where we talk to experts and discuss topics around designing a better AI. Music is by Roll Music. I'm your host, Mark Bailey. Let's get started. So machine learning up until this point has been more on the research side, so much so that it really doesn't fit in with the normal software development cycle. There are all all these gotchas that won't let you fit into the normal, cyclic, agile sprints that most people are used to, and this affects getting in good design. A big part of UX design, not slowing down the software development cycle, is the regular process so that UX can run in parallel to the development. It is possible with the machine learning development, the cycle just looks a little different, and that's what we'll be talking about today. The normal software development process is building a machine. It's a really complicated machine, but in development terms, it's still called stateful. So development is done by writing to test cases. For the updated process, instead of a machine, think of it like you're hiring an employee. And there's five stages of hiring an employee. First is the plan. This is laying the groundwork. You're laying out the job listing. You know, what are the requirements? and you wanna also find an objective. So why are you hiring this AI? Second step is the job posting. What is the purpose and the design? You wanna set your goals and define your benchmarks. Third step is hiring. You wanna build on your expertise, you wanna collect all the representative data, and you wanna build the model. This is the, the step that the data scientists are training the model. Fourth step is training. This would be similar to training the employee. The model is watching how you do things. So you're trying to reinforce the education and this is where a subject This is where a subject matter expert uh, trains the model. This is where the subject matter expert trains the model. The next step is to shadow. You're standing over the shoulder of the employee. The last step is the AI leading the way. So the AI is leading the task and the subject matter expert is now managing the portfolio of AI models. All right, let's get started with the plan. Before even thinking of machine learning, you need to collect data, not just analytic data, but also user data. This is basically normal UX research. Is machine learning necessary? Remember, AI is not a fortune teller. Aim for problems that are possible now but it would take many, many hours for many people to solve it. If a person can't perform the task, then neither can an AI. It's not magic. For the people side of the UX research, visit in location, in the car, or in the lunch to watch the real tasks as they happen. Bring artifacts if they can't be visited. Don't talk down to the user, ask them to explain things. Write quotes instead of opinions, take pictures, ask open-ended questions, Don't ask them to do the design. Do not ask them to predict the future. People are really bad at that. Do not write solutions or bug fixes as you're doing the research, and do not try to teach no matter how much you think you can help. Instead, can you tell me more? Can you explain X to me? Do you have any questions for me? All of these are important to learn the user journey and find the user's true goal. You'll use these as part of the data design. As part of the UX, this is also the data that you'll be using to build the personas and map out the user journeys. The second step is the job posting. So the purpose of this is to design the model. You wanna set your goals and define your benchmarks. So for this, you wanna take your users, user journeys, and goals and work with a data scientist to line them up to the data points that you have available. Actually, what data do you have available? Don't look at the data that you have and then design the product around it. This is going to lead to the product that the management wants, instead of what the users want. Design for what the users need. Then find the data sources that will support that design. There's a pretty good chance you're going to need to merge data points to get the data point that you really want to know also. And don't forget, information quality matters. Determine what the algorithm needs to know. Use representative and complete data design in enough measurement points across the entire user journey so you can make sure that the data has enough touch points through the process to help the model know what the visibility is throughout the entire user journey so that you can always make sure to keep track of what the user wants. So what are the things that you need to pay attention to while you're doing the designing? Now this is going to sound weird, but it's actually okay to remind the user of the good job that you did. A lot of the time, you'll be doing things automatically for the user, and it's a normal human perception to take things for granted. If the server is busy doing something for the user, let them know what you're doing. This also helps with transparency. Perception is key, and the last memory that the user has is important, so make it a good one. A good example of this is when you fly in an airline. Everything can go right. You can even get there early. But if it takes too long to get your luggage, even if you leave the airport before you were expecting to, the trip is still ruined. So AI-specific problems include that the user can get lost when you do things automatically for them. Too often, AI tries to change the state for the user. If you're creating a world around the user, you need to state the boundaries, since obviously this isn't an AGI. If you want to dive deeper, then go ahead and listen to episode six on AI personality. When designing, make sure to ask yourself, Does the user know where they are? And does the user know everything they can do? These are things that you need to ask yourself at every step in the user journey. Also, if you're updating a process with AI, just remember the process got automated originally using the technology at that time. Don't streamline a process that needs to be replaced. Look at the info that the users are getting and what they use that info for and what info they really want. And don't forget accessibility. Machine learning averages towards a general case. It doesn't take care of the exceptions, and that's exactly what accessibility is. AI generalizes the bulk of the data and usually forgets about the edge cases. So it's easier not to get sued, and pretty much you don't want to throw away 15% of your market. like I said previously, transparency is important. Machine learning is already viewed very suspiciously, And transparency really helps with that. Now, usually it isn't possible to have transparency for the algorithms, so instead you want to have transparency around the data that you're using, the assumptions that you made, and the learning goals for the data. Also, when you're designing, be wary of groupthink. Uh, Being in machine learning makes you feel like you can solve any problem. You're solving new problems no one has ever solved before, So just remember, every solution is always a hypothesis that needs to be tested. Everyone can come up with competing ideas, and then you use the user testing, even in the design stage, to test those ideas on the users themselves. Now something more controversial that I might say is that the designer should have a seat at the table, even when you're deciding which algorithms you want to hire. Um, I'll cover this in a future episode as far as all the different algorithms that you can use, and what they're good for, but for now just focus on which one you will choose will also affect the user experience for the customer. For an example of this, I know of a billion-dollar retailer out there that used older, less accurate, rule-based language processing instead of deep learning that has become the standard over the last few years. The developers recommended what they were familiar with, And there wasn't any pushback from the rest of the team because they weren't familiar with the space. Not surprisingly, the product is stumbling is having a hard time competing with the current technology. So step three is to actually, quote, hire the AI. So here you'll be building on the expertise and collecting the representative data by building the model, and you wanna make sure that the data scientist is training the model with the data that you already have. Now, as the boss of an AI app, Your worst nightmare isn't that the AI is going to get too smart. It's actually that they'll be like us. Dumb. It's even worse if they inherited our biases. Now, I'll be doing an episode just on all the different kinds of bias out there because there is a lot and there's a lot of ways to run run afoul of the different kinds. For this episode, I'll just leave it at that there's a lot of people that think that a computer program can't be biased, Because computers aren't biased, this of course isn't true since every application is built by people and uses data from people's actions. So any bias that people can have will find its way into an AI model. As the model is getting built, it's important for dev and UX to work together. A big part of building a model is trying to get the accuracy up. What to decide in the model for the accuracy should align with what you found out in research. Part of this is UX testing. Now, normal systems are deterministic. The, to create normal software, dev teams write test-driven processes where the outcome is expected, and it has to pass for the software to ship. AI models always give different answers every time, so this it just is not possible. Now, since you don't know how the answers will come out, instead, of, you need to know what your acceptance criteria is. What metrics do you need to get your numbers above to make a good model? How will you be able to measure that? These can be even small numbers. In fact, for your first model, you want to make sure that it's a small number, especially for safety-critical systems. You want to move in very small increments. For noisy systems like recommendation systems, uh, 2% more buy above the noise might be what you're looking for. It all depends on your industry and what you found in your research. Another problem to watch out for is the ability to do an A-B test. Um, Once the software has been written, it's really hard to disable the AI and have the software still work. So a good way around this is to have the developers set in an alternative algorithm to just take all the data and find the mean average. Uh, This will, if nothing else, it will tell you if the AI, AI is better than having no AI. Step four is to train. And this is where you'll be reinforcing education. So the subject matter expert is going to be training the model. Now, after the model is created with all of the training data, it's time to open it up a little to a beta test. How you conduct your beta test will be specific to your industry, in the previous episode, I spoke about chatbot models being tested using Facebook chat or kick chatbots, and even using a bot on Reddit. The point is to start getting real data directly to the model from users that it can respond to. The model won't be live yet because you'll be using the subject matter expert, but it can be compared to what the uh, subject matter expert or the SME says the answer should be. A lot of the time, if the company is small enough, as the UX researcher, you're going to be speaking as the SME since you're the one that has talked to the users. So testing the accuracy of the model as a non-data scientist might sound difficult, but you can't shy away from the math. It will be measuring analytics since there could be a lot of noise, but don't worry, in reality no one's good at math. It's just something that's hard for your brain to understand, so it's just a matter of practice to get good at it. Now. The SME does need to be directly active in the user tests. Every question that comes up, the answer that the SME gives can be used to check against what the model would have given in the same situation. Right or wrong, the new data can be used to better train the edge cases for the model because the SME knows the problem domain. Exploratory testing and boundary testing can be done because they know where the limits are. So a heads up that a lot of companies, the QA group, is also adjusting to the new reality of working with AI. As long as they can verify that the app gives a reasonable response, it passes the QA test. Um, The problem is, is that AI can give many responses that make sense, but do not help the user achieve their goals. So make sure that the metric is being tested, and whether or not it's qualitative or quantitative, so that the metric that's being tested has been reduced down enough so that anyone can tell if it's a pass or a fail. Also, as part of the beta test, answer quality isn't the only thing you want to make sure is part of a good user experience. Before your release, you want to make sure to verify the availability of the serving hardware. A lot of delays can creep in when one server is depending on another one's answer. Also, the response time of the model to give an answer or interaction. Make sure that this is going to be able to be scaled up when you do the general release. How fast the critical mass of the users can be built up. If you don't get enough users in the beta test, it won't train the model to give better answers. And if the pickup of customers isn't there, why? Did you not advertise the beta enough? Or is the part of the interaction not what is expected or wanted by the users? The answers that the users are giving... Um, could also be a problem. I'm referring to the Schenectady problem. Uh, so Meetup, the company, was showing a lot of users in New York State, way more than what was representative. When they looked up the zip code, it was for a single GE factory in Schenectady. But it was showing tens of thousands of users living inside this factory. And what they found out was the zip code was 12345. Now, just be look on the lookout for the need that you might need to clean up your data coming in and this is why you're doing the beta test. The next step is to shadow the AI. So this is when you've gotten to the point where it's now the AI's job to build trust. The roles change and the AI system is shadowed by the subject matter experts and you'll need to also balance competing factors of speed versus accuracy. It's important to build up the users to increase accuracy As the first user started to use the app, the accuracy was low because of the lack of data. The difference between expectations and reality has been labeled the gulf of disappointment. Time spent in the gulf of disappointment is because of either bad design or bad accuracy. If users spend too much time disappointed, they're gonna stop using your app. And bad design is covered by good UX design, and hopefully that was done when you were designing the app, so it wouldn't be the cause. Bad accuracy is a reality, no matter what, when you're starting out because just of the lack of data. As the number of users increase, and more data is collected, it becomes time to walk a nice tight rope between using more hardware to increase accuracy and simplifying the model to increase the number of users being served. As the number of users increase and more data is collected, it becomes a time to walk a tight rope between using either more hardware to increase accuracy or simplifying the model to increase the number of users being served. It used to be that UX would work with the developers to create a good experience. Dev would build it, QA would verify it. After that, the product would be released and the team moved on to new features. This is still the way it works for non-AI products. The current process of developing machine learning throws a wrench into this, that when things go into production, also known as inference for ML models, uh, machine learning is still enough on the cutting edge that most developers are on the research side of creating ML models meaning that they care more about getting the model quality up instead of the speed. So the models that do get created usually work well, but are very slow. Um, There's a lot of ways to get the speed up for production, but there's also trade-offs. And unfortunately, some trade-offs can negatively affect the model accuracy. So make sure to test before and after for each model that you make to make sure that it has an acceptable user experience. So, of course, the most obvious solution is just to optimize the code for the current model. A lot of the time, companies have different engineers that specialize in productionizing models. This is a very different skill than building the model and increasing the accuracy. They can strip out inefficient parts of the model to try and simplify it while affecting quality as little as possible. This can be verified before production. The next solution is called distillation. This is where a slow, large, accurate model tries to train a faster, simpler model. The idea is that a smaller model is created without all the specialized code. A much larger training set can be used since it does not need to be hand-labeled. That's very expensive. Instead, the large, slow model is used to tag the unlabeled training data, and then that larger training set hopefully allows for a similar quality with the smaller, more efficient model. This is easy to catch if your QA tracks model versions the same as code revisions. The third solution is changing the serving hardware. Now this one's tricky. Up to this point, one of the general ideas of code is that once the software is compiled, it will run the same no matter what hardware you put it on. And this is not the case for ML model. The quality of the hardware can actually affect the quality and accuracy of the model. When the hardware is built, More expensive hardware means more tensor cores, in the case of GPUs, which means more math can be done faster, which means more accurate answers. If it's large enough deployment, the number of GPUs, or TPUs if you're using Google for serving, can affect the quality of the answers. So, the servers all need to be live, with the software, on the serving hardware, before you can be sure that the user experience that you tested will be the user experience that the users actually experience. The last solution I want to cover is called quantization. It's a shortcut that can be done to cut down on the amount of math needed. The idea is to take big numbers that take a lot of space. For example, if the floating point is like 3.12345 and shorten them down to 3.1 or even just 3 depending on if you're using a floating point or integer quantization. It speeds things up, but again, the experience needs to be verified after the changes are made. Also, just as a heads up, quantitizing models make sure uh, the quality levels even more finicky depending on the hardware it is running on. And the hardware that it has run on will determine what kind and how much quantitization can be done. The last step is to lead. This is mentorship. This is where AI takes the driver's seat. It's leading the tasks. Now, this is basically a successful working model but it's too early to pat ourselves on the back. Successful models are built in very small steps. Building a successful model brings in more data that was not available before now. Does this new data give you a way to improve your model? Does it uh, give you the data needed to fulfill another feature requested by the users? Probably you're not able to achieve the ultimate goal of what you wanted the model to do based on what the data was available when you started at the beginning. It's good to have a model expansion plan. So building model A will allow you to gather data X, and data X will allow you to build model B which will allow you to gather data Y, and so on and so forth until you reach what you originally envisioned for the final product for the users. This will however allow you to start the cycle again. What was learned? What can be improved for next time? And on that note, what can I improve for these episodes and the podcast in general? That's all that I have for the episode, but I would love to hear back from you, what you like, and what you'd like to hear more of. If you have any questions or comments, use your phone to record a voice memo, then go ahead and email it to me at podcast at designforai.com. And if you'd like to see what I'm up to, you can find me on Twitter at designforai. So thank you again, and remember, with how powerful AI is, let's design it to be usable for everyone. Thank you.